Hello and welcome to Shank Talks Bunhofer, a podcast inspired by uh, the thoughts, uh, the life, the times, uh, the interests of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that very courageous young Lutheran pastor in Nazi-era Germany, one of the first courageous voices to challenge Adolf Hitler and Nazism, and as you probably know, uh, would pay for that with his life, but not until he had left us with a marvelous legacy, including what I would argue is some of the best moral theology of the last 150 years. So what we do in this podcast is uh, we have conversations about uh, things that likely would have interested Bonhoeffer, that touch on themes in Bonhoeffer's work, uh, or simply answer the question, who is Christ for us today? The most important question that Bonhoeffer put on the table uh, for any generation of Christians. And uh, in this episode, we're going to have a conversation about an issue that intersected with Bonhoeffer's experience while at Union Theological Seminary in New York. He was a fellow and was here more or less seeking security, safety, uh, after he was put on the hunt list uh, by the Nazis and uh, he was safe and secure in New York. This is the late 1930s. And uh, he would have an unusual set of experiences at the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem at the invitation of his colleague at the seminary, uh, Frank Fisher, African-American uh, fellow. And uh, his encounter with the black church was so powerful that it really set Bonhoeffer on a trajectory back to Europe. Because in seeing the suffering of, uh, of African-Americans, uh, he would use the, the older term Negroes in America, uh, it would so deeply affect him that he thought about human suffering in a way he had never thought of it before. And in the aftermath of that, he said, I must return to Germany to suffer with my people and with those who are oppressed in my own country so that I can assist them in the aftermath uh, of that suffering. And uh, that would put him on the road to martyrdom. So you cannot underplay what occurred in New York at Abyssinian Baptist. And if you're interested in some really scholarly investigation on this, uh, you want to go to uh, Bunhofer's Black Jesus, uh, a book uh, done by one of the top scholars, uh, Reggie Williams, and uh, really explore this in depth. But this is where uh, today our intersection is with our guest. 
Uh, my conversation partner is Paul Allen McAllister, founder and president of Global Leaders in Unity and Evolvement, an emerging faith-based organization that develops policy proposals for leading thought organizations. He is the former pastor of congregations in the Church of God, Anderson, Indiana, uh, where he served uh, folks in Virginia and North Carolina, and he is past chair of the Church of God Commission on Race Relations, and today is a member of the North Carolina Council of Churches Governing Board. And Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm going to mention that we are together at the 2019 Christian Unity Gathering in Hampton, Virginia, which is sponsored by the National Council of Churches. And uh, because of that, you're going to hear some background chatter. Uh, we don't have the luxury of mm. a professional studio here. All we have is a side room. So, Paul, you and I uh, may be joined by some ambient sounds. Uh, but I think our technical crew can work with that and make sure that folks hear your insights on this question. But first, let's help others. Uh, get to know you a little bit uh, more. Uh, tell us about your own life experience. Um, Church of God, Anderson, is very interesting to me for a lot of reasons, uh, but as an African-American in a predominantly white denomination, as a minister, I'm, I'm intrigued by that experience too. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, the, well, first of all, thank you for having me and having this conversation. I think it's uh, um, one that is a necessary conversation for me to have, and I certainly appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I came to the Church of God probably like most um, uh, persons in the Church of God as a child. My, uh, my father uh, was... Uh, a child of a United Methodist pastor who married a Church of God girl. And uh, it turns out that my mother was the great-granddaughter of a founding pastor in the Church of God. We, you, got, you got preaching in your blood. Well, well, we do. And it, it, it turns out that we also come from a family of, of preachers from so many different Christian denominations um, that we really um, find it sometimes to be quite an honor and a privilege uh, to be associated with uh, the Church of God because of its history, um, its legacy with respect to race relations, which goes way back to the early 1900s, and, um, and, and what we have been able to accomplish as a denomination that is not monoracial, but multiracial and multiethnic. Well, I'm glad you set me straight on that. Um, my encounters with the Church of God, and for those who are not familiar with Church of God Anderson, I mean, there are various churches of God, in fact, frankly, there are a multitude of churches of God. Uh, the one that we're talking about, based in Anderson, Indiana, would be in the evangelical family. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, as yes. I understand it, it's a holiness-oriented tradition. Would that, am I correct yes. on that? Yes. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they hear Church of God, think Pentecostal. This is the non-Pentecostal, well, all churches are Pentecostal, but in the, uh, you know, expressive form, 
would not be the Pentecostal brand Church of God. That's, uh, let's see. Uh, that would be Church of God in Christ. Uh, a Church of God in Christ being the, the uh, African-American expression. But yes. the one I'm thinking of is in uh, Tennessee. In Cleveland, Tennessee. Cleveland, Tennessee. Thank you. The other Church of God. <laughs> so, uh, but, and, and as you're characterizing it, it is multi-ethnic multiracial? We are. And uh, I think that's something that sometimes even we may not, not fully appreciate ourselves because when we look at our local constituencies in local cities or local congregations, I would have to say that most of our congregations are predominantly monoracial. But when you look at the global context and the national context of the church, you see a very healthy representation of all groups uh, and all genders, male and female, um, that sort of gives us a, a very unique uh, distinctive emplacement in the body of Christ. So let me take you to a, a statement you just said in, uh, in thanking me, you're very generous because I think of you as going out of the way to be a part of this discussion, but you said, uh, you know, you called this a very necessary conversation mm -hmm. to have. Mm -hmm. Not all churches, not all denominations see it that way. Mm -hmm. Some would say, well, you know, we shouldn't really talk about that stuff. I mean, first of all, Christians are Christians, no matter what color you are, where you live, what your history is. We're all part of the body of Christ. So let's not get hung up on race. Let's not get fixated or distracted. Let's just preach the gospel to every creature. And, and in doing so, almost go out of their way not to talk about race. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So while with one breath they're saying, let's not get distracted, it's almost distracting the effort that is expended to avoid the question of race. Why is race a necessary conversation for the church? Race is a necessary conversation, number one, I would say, because we've avoided it. For a number of decades, we've uh, tried to dance around the issue of race for the very uh, reasons that you've articulated. It's more important for us to be Christian, to, be, uh, to have a living relationship with, uh, uh, with Christ, uh, and, 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 and to affirm uh, the principles that are written in the Holy Scriptures. Um, but I find from an anthropological perspective that we are not placed here uh, in, in segregated councils and segregated cities and towns. Uh, we live on one planet. And, and we live in one nation and we live in common arenas and common spaces. And therefore, if we're going to learn to live together, then we have to learn to appreciate the richness of the, of the human family. And I find that this uh, metaphor of family is what makes the body of Christ what it is. We are not uh, splintered into separate, unique families, but we are one family. The Church of God uh, professes that it is one family, just like the Methodist Church is one family. And, and collectively, all of us together uh, should be willing to appreciate the challenges that come about with learning to understand what that richness and vastness of expression God has created means for all of us. Mm -hmm. So uh, at the same time we appreciate our diversity, 
we also appreciate our unity mm -hmm. that we're all in one family even though uh, there are differences in that family well you know and, and, and well, let me say this I, 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 I want to go back to our our hymnody within the Church of God we love to sing a song that says uh, the Church of God one body is one spirit dwells within and all her members are redeemed and triumph over sin. Um, but let's deal with this principle of, of sin and evil and corruption. Um, the problem that we find so much in society is that one group of people have been, have been demonized over um, other groups of people. And that is what produces or has produced uh, the tendency for us to look at race as something that we need to be more conscious of. Um, and what I mean by that is, historically, we understand that from Aristotle, we've learned uh, that blackness is something that is corrupt and uncivil and, and uncivilized, uh, that needs to be conditioned and strengthened in order to participate in the moral universe in the same way that whiteness is able to be affirmed as being pure and noble uh, and worthy and deserving. And so in the Church of God, we do have these, um, these heroes of the faith who have been willing to step out of the shadows and announce that in order to triumph over sin, we must also triumph over our human tendencies to, to devalue and underestimate human worth. Mm -hmm. Got to sit with that one. <laughs> for a minute and think of the implications mm. of that. And of course, Bonhoeffer would raise these questions, uh, you know, in the context of our treatment of the other, our relationship to the other, our relationship to one another. There's so much in Jesus' instruction, in his prayers, uh, in the experience of the church having to do with how we relate to one another. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just writing a piece on mm -hmm. Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. Mm -hmm. We prayed that we would all be yes. one, even as he and the Father are one. So yes. that oneness uh, is extremely important in our Christian theology. Well, in your own experience, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you've been the chair of a commission on race relations within a denominational structure. As a black man, you have your own personal experience with race in this country, in the church, mm -hmm. certainly in the church. What has that been for you? Has that been largely a positive experience, a negative experience? What, what's been your experience around race and particularly race and the church? It's been a calling, I would say number one, but I also want to think of it as a crusade. Mm. Um, it's been a calling because from my earliest days as a child, all that I can remember is having friends who were both black and white. And I've always felt that this is how the world should be. And if this is how the world should be, then the crusade as an adult has become, what must I do in the spirit of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and many others 
to make this world what it ought to be when we find that it is not as it should be or as it can be. And that has presented us a significant um, level of crisis at moments. Uh, Certainly despair for me as chair of the Racial Unity Commission in the Church of God because I've often found that many of my mentors and persons who I've admired and respected have shied away from this challenge, have shied away from embarking on this crusade as if it really does not make a difference at all. But as we can see from the recent shootings in Texas, uh, talking about Dallas and Fort Worth and many other episodes that we have uh, heard about recently in the news, we just can't seem to ignore this problem and be transformative in the world and in such a way that the world knows that we can be a healing agency talking about the church in a world that needs salvation. You know, I don't think you have to look much further than the New Testament record itself. Look at the magnitude of the problem when it came to the question of Jews and Gentiles. Mm -hmm. That is a racial question. You know, you make me think of uh, when you mentioned that um, Paul and, and Barnabas in prayer in the early church prior to them going on their first missionary journey. And we see the great uh, diversity that existed within the body of Christ. Certainly you see race as an element, but you also see other factors as well. And this gives us a picture of what the church is when it's at its best. And, and, and so what we've, what we've striven for in, in recent years, in the past uh, two years in fact, is to remind the church that this is what God has called us to be. One spirit, not a duplicity of spirits. One disposition, one attitude, a corporate mind framed and shaped by the presence of one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And therefore, society has taught us to think in terms of dualisms. But the scriptures teach us to think in terms of oneness, unity, and not to fabricate that unity. It doesn't have to be manufactured uh, in such a way that it becomes malfunctional or dysfunctional. What God's intention for us uh, to be is authentic by virtue of the one spirit who lives and guides and speaks and melds us, uh, Rob, into this oneness and wholeness. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, you know, uh, One of the things I like to remind Christians of is that really we're all descendants of just two parents, earthly, in the earthly sense. Hmm. And they probably looked a whole lot more like you than (laughs) like me. And that's profound, Hmm. especially when I think about the history, and I've been thinking about it here at this conference, this Christian unity gathering on Uh ending racism. Thinking about the history that not only did Christians own slaves in America and by definition treated them with unspeakable cruelty, but church institutions owned slaves. And that wasn't so long ago. Uh You know, 50, 150 years used to sound to me like an eternity when I was a young man. Mm. Well, (laughs) the older Uh I get, 
the shorter those years become. It wasn't so long ago. Mm -hmm. And if that was the case, how can we possibly ignore this in our history here in the United States, many other parts of the world? So we are still doing this repair work. Mm -hmm. And Paul, I want to thank you because your, your embracing this as a crusade, as a mission from God, as a calling for you as a minister of the gospel, costs a lot more than for me. It is costly. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of in 2018, when uh, the Church of God held five regional conventions in Phoenix, Oklahoma City, uh, Columbus, uh, Fairfax, Virginia, and then down in Safety Harbor, Florida. And I remember so well uh, after each of those conferences, and I would either fly or drive, after each of the town hall conversations, I would be filled with um, mixed emotions, to say the least. Uh, sometimes I felt the conversations went well, and then at other times I felt like it was an abject failure. But I remember in Columbus, um, after the conversation there, and I was having a conversation with some of the elders, uh, and specifically the African-American elders of the church, uh, who were giving me some feedback. But the feedback that I needed most was the feedback that the Spirit of God brought to me. And the question that he brought to me was, are you doing this for you or are you doing this for me? Mm. And my answer was clearly, Lord, I'm doing this for you. This is not about me. I think when we make it about us mm. and uh, want to build a reputation for ourselves, then we can easily become frustrated along this journey. But when we realize that this is a message that is endowed, entrusted, if you will, to us by God for the people of God, then we can move through the obstacles and actually roll right over them because we know that faithful is he who calleth us, mm -hmm. who also will perform it. So it's not for us to get the immediate results because that's what we're accustomed to in a transactional society. We want a product, we pay a price, and we pick the product off the shelf and we take it home. Not so with the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we plant seeds. One plants, one waters, but God, thankfully, is the one who makes things grow. And so we don't need to worry about outcomes. We simply need to be faithful along the journey, knowing that if God has called us to it, he will ultimately bear fruit and fruit that will last. And this is an, an important point, I think, Rob, because so many times uh, when we get instant results, we're happy and we celebrate and we thank God for it. But what happens when the seeds begin to not germinate? Mm -hmm. Or what happens when the fruit that is born begins to seemingly rot on the vine? But with God, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, his word endures not just for a short time, but his word endures forever. And that means it lasts longer than us. And the, and the results, the fruit of our labor endures beyond our lifetime. Mm -hmm. 
Perhaps there might be someone 20 years from now listening to this very conversation who needs to hear exactly what we're saying right now and, and be assured of the fact that if God has called them not to worry about the fruit of their labors being uh, devastated and, 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 and denied on the basis of what people contemporaneously think at that moment. And this is what I was dealing with in Columbus. This is an abject failure, I thought, because I'm not certain that this meets with the approval of the higher ups in the, in the church mm. or even those in the audience who were listening to the conversation. But God reminded me that it's not about the immediate impact that you feel. It's the immediate sense of having done your due diligence mm. to carry forth the word that God has planted within me and within us. Well, thank you, my dear brother, for tilling the soil for planting those seeds. We pray and watch for the rain to come, for God to give the increase, and in the end to have a permanent, mm -hmm. fruitful result because it, it will dr only draw the people of God closer together in greater unity. And in doing that, we reflect the very nature of Christ and his Father. And I think sometimes, too, um, like a parent, like a parent of a child, uh, the child may not always appreciate uh, the discipline that he or she receives in the moment, but in days and months and years to come, the child can look back and realize that all of this was for a purpose. Everything that God does mm -hmm. is for a purpose. Our conversation mm -hmm. here now is for a purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, our presence in this room, which we had to search around to find, and thankfully we were able to do it, um, is, is, is not without purpose. And, and I realize that in this calling that I call a crusade, but it is certainly a calling from God, uh, that it has meaning because it's intentional in the mind of God. And if it is intentional in the mind of God, then there are those who we might think would not be receptive. But ultimately, we must remember that we have, um, who is the right, we have the John Newtons of this world mm -hmm. who, um, who can be converted and whose lives can be changed, who don't have to wallow in their racism or wallow in um, their sense of inferiority. If you're talking about persons who have been mistreated and abused historically, uh, we can overcome these things and come out of these shadows. And these are some of the lessons that I think in the Church of God and even other fellowships we're beginning to see uh, with the writings of persons like Jennifer Harvey um, and Dear White Christians or Michael Emerson and some of the work that he has written uh, and many, many, many others. And we're going to listen to Ibram Kendi um, later on today and some of his work in dealing with racism. And the list goes on and on and on. Nana Jones and the 1619 Project. We're thankful for the collective work that has gone into this effort. And of course, we have models like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who taught us what suffering for the kingdom is really all about. And today we admire his work. And whenever we talk about him in this context, I always have to uh, invoke the name of Frank Fisher. Yes. Who, yes. you know, in the, in the kind of quasi-celebrity of Bonhoeffer's story is often forgotten. And yet Bonhoeffer would have never seen the question of race 
as a distinctly Christian ethical and moral question mm -hmm. without Frank Fisher. That's right, that's right. So, you know, here was, as you said, each of these, you know, this is all orchestrated by God, the right people in the right place at the right time. Bonhoeffer flees danger in Germany, comes over to what he thought would be a nice, safe academic life in New York and meets Frank Fisher who then takes him to Abyssinian Baptist, where Bonhoeffer has uh, a dramatic conversion-like experience that sends him back to Germany to play out the drama we're all so familiar with. This is all the work of God. And Paul, I want to thank you for being faithful to God's call in your life, because it's a gift to me and to all of us. And we'll watch and see what God does with it for now. Thank you for joining me in this conversation and being a friend of the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute. You can find out uh, more about uh, Paul McAllister's work with uh, Global Leaders in Unity and Evolvement. Uh, is there a website, Paul, that folks can go to? Yes, uh, the website is glue team, G-L-U-E-T-E-A-M.org. Okay, glue team, not difficult to remember. Glue team.org. Paul, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs>